If you have your Bible, uh, or you can grab one there in front of you, or if you have it on your phone, please turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 in God's Word. And uh, we have been, uh, over the past six weeks or so, we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. And um, we want to continue. And these miracles that we've been looking at, we've been studying them from the Gospel of John. And each chapter, and, and quite honestly, each miracle that we've looked at, uh, it, it's like climbing a mountain. Anybody ever been hiking or mountain climbing? It's like climbing a mountain. As we go through the Gospel of John, it's like God's Word is taking us higher and higher. God's Word is revealing more and more about our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we want to continue today in John chapter 11. The reality is, the further we go, the higher we climb through Scripture, the more clearly we begin to see Jesus Christ as He is. And John's Gospel, the great thing about John's Gospel is Jesus clearly and over and over and overwhelmingly proclaims who He is. And He, and he actually gives us some promises about Himself. And uh, we have been looking at that over the past six weeks. Truly, John actually tells us in the end of the book why he was led by the Holy Spirit to write. In fact, we've alluded to it a few times over the series in John chapter 20. Uh, in verse 30 and 31, the Bible says this, "...and many other signs..." Speaking of the miracles or signs that Jesus did, "...many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book." What John is saying is there were so many other things that Jesus actually did. If you read the rest of the story, he says the, the book of the Bible would not be able to contain all that Jesus did. But notice what he says in verse 31. He says, but these are written, the, the collection of miracles, the collection of signs, the things that we have written in this gospel. Watch, he says, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and believing that you might have life through His name. Everything, everything, everything in the Gospel of John actually points you and it actually points me towards the deity of Jesus Christ. It actually is telling you and I that Jesus is God. And that's a wonderful promise that we have, that Jesus is God. In fact, if we were to look back at the beginning of John's Gospel in John chapter 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A few verses later, in verse number 4, John says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. If you are walking in light today, it's because you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. The problem is, as I was even sharing with Travis, is, Men, John chapter 3 tells us that men, we are lovers of darkness. See, we like to walk in darkness. But once Jesus comes in, just like the blind man Travis was preaching about a few weeks ago, once, once the light of Jesus Christ comes in, we not only experience that light, but we experience life. Jesus Christ said he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. In John chapter 1, verse number 14, the Bible goes on to say that the Word was flesh and dwelt among us. How amazing is it that Jesus Christ is the Word, and as the Word, He became flesh so that you and I could know who He is and why He actually came. We could know Him and we could believe in Him. When Jesus walked this earth physically, He used miracles, He used parables. 
a story with a hidden truth thrown alongside of it, right? A truth. And, and then he also used other forms of verbal discourse to continually create and communicate the truth about himself. And this morning, look with me in John chapter 11. This chapter causes you and I to reflect on the very nature of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we actually get to see, how does he actually respond to us in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of loss, and in the midst of death? Has anybody ever lost a loved one? Probably everybody should raise their hand. Everybody has lost a loved one. Has anybody in this room ever suffered any form of grief? Some of you say, yeah, I got grief on the way here this morning. Mm. My husband was giving me grief. My children were giving me grief. We got grief on the way this morning. Has anybody ever suffered, might have been this morning, sadness, sadness, hurt? Anybody ever felt pain before? And so the reality of this, this chapter is to actually understand how does Jesus Christ, who says he is the word and became flesh, and the Bible says he dwelt among us and that he was full of grace and truth, how does he respond? How does he, how does he respond to my hurt? How does he respond to my grief? How does he respond to the fact that I just lost a loved one? I'm glad you asked because the answer is found right here in John chapter 11. You see, the passage contains what many refer to as the seventh sign or miracle that's written here in the Gospel of John. And most people, if we're not careful, myself included, we might read this story and say, Oh, that's amazing. Jesus actually raises a dead man back to life. But that's not all that is taking place in this story. We look at that and say, Man, that's a marvelous miracle. But that's not really the miracle. When we study the miracles of Jesus, it's important for you and I to understand that we never read about a miracle, we never hear about a miracle, we never see about a miracle of Jesus in and of itself. Every time that we see a miracle in Scripture, Jesus is actually trying to communicate a greater message about who he is. And John tells us that the reason he does that is so that I can simply know him, that I can live in him, right? That I can have peace, that I can experience hope, if you please, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so let's see how Jesus responds to our grief, our loss and suffering and death. Look at John chapter 11 and begin reading with me. In verse number 1, the Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him and said, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode there two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And so right away, let's stop for just a second. Right away, he, we, we see right here in Scripture how much Jesus actually loves the family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so if we're going to see how he responds to grief, if we're going to see how he responds to loss and suffering and death, I think it also behooves us to remember 
How does Jesus respond to those that he loves? Well, you say, Jesus loves the little children of the world. Well, how does he respond? How does he respond to you and I? Right? I would say that Jesus loves me. He loved me so much that he gave his life for me. But how does he respond in the midst of my grief? I think that's the greater question that we have to look at when we study this. And if you look at verse number 3, look at verse number 3. It says, Then his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. There's no specific request made. They just tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And so what I'm guessing is that they must have immediately assumed that Jesus would come. They're like, hey, Jesus, we know you love our family, and so uh, just wanted to send you a text message, Lazarus is sick. Right? They're thinking he's going to come. They're thinking he's going to uh, do something. But the Bible tells us in verse number 6, notice what it says. It says that Jesus responded by making them wait. Anybody ever felt like Jesus made you wait before? Right? You like, you offer up the prayer. You're like, Lord. Almost like, almost like that, that movie, Bruce Almighty. Jesus, where are you? Clap on, clap on, I need you. Right? And then when we don't immediately get the answer that we're looking for, we don't immediately, by the way, little sidebar, sometimes the answer we're looking for is not the answer God wants or is going to give. Why? Because James says we ask amiss. Right? We ask we want, we want what we want, when we want it, we want it how we want it, and we want it according to our own will and our own ways instead of his will and his way. And so a lot of times we ask amiss. Instead of God's glory being revealed, we ask for exactly what we want. And so notice the Bible says that Jesus stays put for two days. He makes them wait. And I don't know about you, but I've been there before. And I can assure you that is not the response since we're looking at how Jesus responds, that's not the response that Mary and Martha are hoping for. Listen, because he waits two days, Mary and Martha are forced to watch their brother die. They're forced to wash his body. They're forced to uh, prepare the body for burial. They're forced to put him in a tomb. And in the midst of all of it, they're feeling pain. They're feeling heartbroken. They're feeling sorrow. They're feeling doubt. They're saying, in their mind, see, the, the mind is a terrible playground for us to play around in because the devil... He's a roaring lion. He walks about seeking whom he may devour, right? And so he gets us twisted in our mind. We start thinking, the Lord doesn't love me. The Lord doesn't care about me. I asked him and he did nothing for me, so I guess maybe I'm, uh, uh, there's something going on in our relationship. How easy is that we, sometimes we can text a friend. And if the friend doesn't see our mannerisms or our de demeanor, they immediately assume we're mad at them. The same thing, I think, happens sometimes when we pray to God and we don't get the response that we're looking for. Maybe we assume something's going on in our relationship. But what I see in Scripture when we're talking about responses is that Martha, who if you remember the story about when Jesus went to their house for dinner, what was Martha busy doing? She was busy serving, wasn't she? And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, right? But what we see in this passage is that actually Martha and Mary's response is very much the same. When Jesus actually arrives to town in verse number 21, notice the Bible says, Martha actually says to Jesus, she says, Lord, if thou had been there, my brother had not died. 
In fact, in verse number 32, when Mary finally comes out to where Jesus is, she says the same exact same, same thing. She gets down and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And so the quick translation of that in the, in the GCV, the Greg Corcoran version, is, Lord, where were you? Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever thought that? Lord, where were you? I needed you yesterday. I called on you. I had a big thing going on at work. And Lord, I needed wisdom, but I didn't seem to get it. Lord, I needed healing, but I didn't seem to get it. I'm still coughing. I'm still hurting. I'm still in pain. Lord, I needed you to provide financially for the family. And Lord, it just didn't happen. Where were you? Have we ever felt that before? Oh, I can imagine that we have. And also, not only, Lord, where were you? But notice what they said. Throw up verse 21 again. They said, Lord, you're too late. Have you ever felt like that? Lord, you're too late to do anything. What's done is done. It's over. There's nothing else that can be done. In fact, this is exactly how we feel when we don't get the answers, when we don't get the healing or the finances or whatever it is that we may be looking for God himself. And in the end, this causes you and I many times to cry out to God and say, Lord, where were you when I needed you? But if you notice in verse number four, Jesus had it all under control. You see, they call, they send word that their brother is sick. But notice what Jesus says in verse number four. He says, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified there, thereby. This is an expression, this is the reality of Jesus' deity as God. It's on full display. His omniscience is fully known in this moment. He knows exactly what's happening. He knows exactly why it's happening. And listen, he's saying, God's got a bigger plan in mind. And what I want to remind each of us, Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comforts me. That's what David said when he was talking about his shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we may have to go through the valleys of life. Anybody, don't raise your hand, but I'm guessing there's somebody here in this room or somebody listening online that would probably say in their heart of hearts that they feel like they have been through their share of valleys in life. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we start to look at the glass as always being half empty. You've heard me say that expression before. We can either look at the glass as half empty, or we can look at the glass as being half full. Or am I, Adrian Rogers used to say it, am I, am I, gratefully, am I humbly grateful or am I grumbly hateful? Am I, am I grateful for what God has done in my life? Or am I so focused on what I don't have that I actually become hateful to myself and to those around me? You see, God had a greater plan 
in this story than you and I could even imagine. We're thinking, hey, Jesus, why not just go ahead and think it? Why not go ahead and speak it? Why not head, I mean, and heal Lazarus? I mean, after all, you love him and you've healed so many other people. Why not just do it? And Jesus said, because God's got something else he wants people to be seeing in this situation. Jesus' delay in traveling to Bethany was not due to some lack of affection or, or love on his part, but it's done so that God could demonstrate to everyone that's in that area that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the living Christ, as he said, God in the flesh. And so he orchestrates this entire situation. And folks, I can tell you this may seem brutal. You say, how cruel how brutal is Jesus that he would make these sisters go through all this pain, all this grief, all this suffering? Why would he do that? My name is Greg. I'm not God. And so I don't know why he would do all that. But I can assure you that sometimes Jesus' response, here it is, a hard truth for all of us. Sometimes Jesus' response is delayed. Right? Sometimes it's delayed, but can I encourage you that Hebrews 13.5 says that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Oh, so even you say, well, I need an answer now. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. He's not left me. He's not forsaken me. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 40, in verse number 31, the Bible says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run. They shall not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. Oh, listen. Sometimes waiting is part of life. I remember when I went to Paris Island as a part of the United States Marine Corps. These guys, I'm sure they had the best intentions, but did they not know that I was not built for waiting? I learned very quick at boot camp the phrase, hurry up and wait. I'm used to it. So when I bend the knee and I pray to God, it's okay. If, if as a Marine I can hurry up and wait as a child of God, I guess it's better that I hurry up and wait. Oh, listen, he, his response time might have been affected by a couple of days, but Jesus had it all under control. Our passage in verse, if you look at our scripture again, in verses 8 through 13, continues to reveal how Jesus' disciples, they don't even know what's going on. They're thinking Lazarus is asleep. And, and so finally, in verse number 14, Jesus basically has to say, Lazarus is dead. They're like, oh, just let him sleep. It's no big deal. We don't want to go down there. Don't you know they're, they're wait, waiting for you, Jesus? They're going to kill you. And finally he says, Lazarus is dead. And verse number 15 actually gives us another clue as to why Jesus delays his response. His response is not only delayed because of Martha, Mary, and the Jews that are gathered around the tomb. His response is delayed. Look at verse number 15 for his own disciples' sake. You see, the disciples, they had seen Jesus heal other people. They had seen uh, all the miracles right along with everybody else. But here's what else they saw. You remember when he heals the lame man at the pool of Bethesda? And it was the Sabbath. Remember from that moment on, they sought to kill him. They sought to get rid of Jesus. And so guess what? When you're hanging with the master and you start seeing everybody want to kill him, 
there's a little thing called doubt that starts to echo into your mind. And so notice verse number 15 gives us another clue. And verse number 15 says, Jesus said, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Jesus wants to rid the minds of his closest followers of any doubt whatsoever. And so when he finally arrives, look at the passage. When he finally arrives, you see Martha first and then Mary the second. They both come to him. They're both grieving the loss of their brother. They're both suffering and struggling with the, with the reality of death. But what I want you to see is in the midst of their brother's death, both women, who by the way have been criticized un, unworthily, they have been criticized down through the ages. Many times I've heard pastors preach this message and they criticize Martha and Mary. I want to celebrate them. I want to celebrate them because these were women of faith. Notice what takes place in verse number 20. Let me read to you. In verse 21 it says, Then Mary, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, notice what she does. She's no longer busy serving. As soon as she hears Jesus is coming, she goes out and meets him. She doesn't even wait for Jesus to get to town. She runs out and she meets him. But Mary sat still at the house. Notice what Martha does. Verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But here's the key. You see her faith. She says, but I know. She doesn't say, but I think. She says, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Oh, what an amazing passage of scripture. This reveals Martha's faith in the fact that she believed that not only Jesus could have healed her brother, but she says, but I know even now you can do something. Let me ask you a question. Some of you who are waiting for answers, some of you are waiting for healing, some of you are waiting for finances, whatever it is, right? Do you still believe that Jesus? See, because Martha says, but I know. I believe even now. Even though my brother is dead, even though I had to wash his body, even though we had to wrap his body and put him in the tomb, I believe that Jesus, you are now able to do something just as you would have been able to do it before he died. How amazing is that? What a woman of faith. Look at verse 23. And Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Jesus says, listen, your brother shall rise again. And she says, yeah, 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 I get it. Look at verse 24. She says, Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, no, you don't get it, Martha. He says, you don't understand what I'm talking about. And notice what he says. He says right here, this is the fifth of his great I am revelations. He says right here, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. He's speaking future tense there. And then he asks her the big question. He says, do you believe this? He says, do you believe that I am the resurrection and life? In other words, Jesus was saying, Martha, if you have me, you have life. Can I tell you this morning, if you have Jesus, you have life. That's good news. It beats the alternative. If you have Jesus, you have life. Not only then, but right now. Right now you have Jesus Christ, you have life. In verse number 26, listen, Jesus is speaking future tense when he tells Martha and you and I, 
when he says that anyone who lives and believes in him, he says they will never die. How amazing is that? When I take my last breath, when the doctors are done pushing and prodding and sticking me with whatever, and maybe, they, I, maybe I don't ever make it to a doctor that pushes and prods. Or maybe my wife, she tarries for two days. To, <laughs> says, hmm. Maybe she says, God is so good to take my husband on to glory. I'm just teasing. No matter, no matter whether I die in the recliner, no matter when I, whether I go to glory asleep, no matter whether there's some catastrophic thing and my wife carts me off to the hospital, one thing I know is when they stop pushing and I'm prodding and I've taken my last breath, I'll still be alive. Woo! Man, sorry. Woo! I just got goosebumps. Guys, we have no clue. By the way, that's not prosperity gospel. That's the true gospel. Don't go out of here saying, oh, he was, he was galloping, and that was crazy, and he was doing stuff with his hands I've never seen him before. That's the reality is that when I finish breathing in this life, I will never cease to exist in glory with my Savior. Oh, you want to say how Jesus responds? I say he responded well. And Martha says, I believe that you can do it now. And Jesus says, you don't understand. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. What an amazing promise. That's the miracle. The miracle isn't that he just says, Lazarus, come forth. The miracle is that Jesus reveals to you and me that there's no problem. That if you have Christ, you have life. And he is the light of men. And here's the really cool thing. It begins right now. I don't have to wait till I stop breathing. I have eternal life right now. I'm living eternal life. Yes, I'm living physically, but I'm also living spiritually my eternal life. And I'm getting worked up. How amazing is it? Eternal life with Jesus Christ begins the very moment, the very second a person places their faith and trust and confidence in the risen Savior of the world. It's a present possession. It's not something that I have to wait till I get to the pearly gates to claim. It's something that I have right here and now. Don't worry about the pearly gates. We're going on through with Jesus. People say, oh, I wonder what St. Peter's going to say. Worry about what Jesus is going to say. Oh, my goodness. Look with me back at our text so I can bring my blood pressure back down. In verse 28, Martha returns. After Jesus says that, it's like, it's pretty cool. Look at verse 27. And she saith unto him, he says, he says, believest thou this? In verse 27, she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Notice Jesus is like, okay, I'm done with you, Mary. Watch what he says. Verse 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, notice what she tells her. The master is come and calleth for thee. It's amazing. As soon as, as soon as she says this, notice verse 29. As soon as she heard that, notice Mary's response. She arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet coming to the town, because remember Martha went out to meet him, but was in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews which were come with her in the house and had come to comfort her, when they saw that Mary rose up hastily and went out, they followed her saying, oh no. 
she goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come to Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Let's stop right there for a second. We immediately see Mary's faith and devotion. As soon as Martha says, the Lord, the master has come, and he calleth for you, man, she's up. She's, she's weeping, she's mourning, she's grieving. And as soon as Martha says, the master has come, it's as if Martha is telling Mary, the answer is here. The one we were waiting on is here. Jesus is here. And notice what Mary does. She gets up and she runs out of the house and she runs down the road to meet Jesus. And all the people who had come from Jerusalem, which by the way is less than two miles away, basically from the city entrance of Bethany to, to Jerusalem, they all follow her because they think she's going to the tomb to weep. And so guess what? A private conversation between Mary and Jesus now becomes public. Right? Have you ever had that happen? You're talking with somebody and you're trying to have a private discussion and a couple people walk up and they're like, they're like, what's going on? I want to hear what you're saying. This is, this is what's going on. This is what's happening here. And so Mary, she comes and notice what she does. What does she do? She falls down at his feet. Oh, reminder. In verse number two, the Bible tells us that this is the same Mary who takes that alabaster box of ointment and pours it all over the Savior's feet, and she wipes his feet with her hair. I'm guessing she had to be on her knees down there doing that at his feet. You remember when Jesus goes to dinner with Martha and Mary, and Martha is busy serving the Lord. Where's Mary? She's at Jesus' feet. It's as if Mary is saying once and again for you and I today, and she's reminding us of a promise. She said, my rest is in you, Jesus. My brother may be dead, but I'm going to sit here. I'm going to rest in you. I know that you have the answers for life. And so she sits at the master's feet. You see, Mary was well aware that the arrow of time only points in one direction. You see, what was done was done. She doesn't say, Lord, can you still heal my brother? I mean, he's only been dead for four days. Can you? No, she's not looking for a miracle. She just reiterates the fact that she had faith in Jesus that if he had been there, her brother would not have died, that he could have done something about it. And so she's sitting there. But how does Jesus respond? She doesn't expect or even ask for a miracle. But I told you I wanted to show you how Jesus responds. So notice how he responds. Look at verse 33. In verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. They didn't point. They said, Lord, you want to see where he's at? Come and see. And so they start this journey, and they are taking Jesus to the tomb. But notice along the way, the shortest verse in all Scripture, one that children love to recite because they can get a star for it real quickly. It's so significant. Jesus wept. Can I tell you? I believe in my heart of hearts that Jesus still weeps today. 
He weeps when he looks down on the predicament of humanity. He weeps because of the brokenness of humanity caused all the way back to the Garden of Eden when that dirty old scoundrel, the devil, the great deceiver, deceived Eve and Adam. I believe he weeps today with us because of sin. I believe he weeps today through the grief and the suffering and the loss that you and I feel when we lose a loved one. And I won't make much of it, but I shared with Travis how time keeps rolling along. Yesterday marked 42 years ago that my mother passed away. It reminds me that I'm getting old. And you have lost loved ones here. Can I tell you? I believe with all my heart that when my mother passed out from this eternity, or from this physical life on into eternity, oh, there was weeping, but there was also rejoicing. Because precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. And so I know my mother is with Jesus. But I believe he grieved as I grieved. Why does, the, why does the Bible tell us to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice? Listen, we're getting examples of what Jesus would have done. And so we see here in verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 36, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And then some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should have not died? In other words, they're saying, could not he have prevented this? And look at verse 38. Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. And Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou would believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? He's like, woman, didn't I just tell you just a few moments ago that I am the resurrection and the life? Did I just not have this discussion with you? Did I just not ask you if you believed this? That's what he tells her here in verse 40. Look at verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. That's a great promise from God. But because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin, Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. Praise God. After seeing Mary and Martha and all the people weeping, verse number 33 tells us that Jesus groaned. He was angered. He was angered in his spirit. He was troubled, the Bible says. That word means that he was agitated. He was restless. Guys, I want you to know he was angry and agitated because of the tyranny of Satan. He's angry and agitated today because of the tyranny of Satan who brings about sorrow and death to people through sin. John chapter 8, verse 44, the Bible reminds us that the devil is a liar and a murderer. Like I tell everybody, stop listening to him. Quit listening to the devil who seeks to destroy your life. 
Verse 35 says Jesus wept. That's how he responded. He groaned in his spirit. He was agitated. Then the next response we see is that he weeps. He weeps for the brokenness of humanity and death and suffering and grief. And he weeps because he's sad over the tragic consequences of sin. You see, he saw Mary who was broken by sorrow, Martha who was grieved by pain and hurt, and he saw the other people who had come that were gathered to support the family. And I believe that he grieved and he wept because he remembered in his heart of hearts that mankind was never created for sin and death. Man was created for righteousness and life. And he was surrounded, if you please, by a death march. Everybody was marching toward the tomb. And they were weeping. And he says, where is he? And so through their tears, they're showing Jesus the way to this tomb that is filled with a dead body. And in verse 41, Jesus thanks the Father for hearing him, revealing his obedience as God's only son, but also he's revealing his ability to unleash the power of God. You see, I believe that Jesus wanted to make sure that people just didn't look at him as some kind of a miracle, magical worker. He wanted to make sure that people understood that he was God in the flesh. And finally, in verse number 44, we see how Jesus revealed his authority over death by summoning a dead man to get up and walk out of his grave. We're talking about someone who can't see, someone who can't hear. And quite honestly, let's think about it. He's wrapped in his grave clothes. He has no ability to walk. And yet Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. I don't know in my mind's eye, I wonder if Lazarus came out like this. All I know is that he came out of that grave. And you, and you may be looking at me and say, oh, sacrilege. Read the rest of the passage. As soon as he comes out, he tells him to take off the clothes. So I don't know how he walked physically out of that grave, but I know he did it because the Bible tells me he did so. Lazarus is dead, but Jesus says, come forth. Folks, can I tell you the same is true today? I once was spiritually dead. But at the age of 13, I'm so thankful for the gospel. At the age of 13, I was sitting in the second row in the center section of Calvary Road Baptist Church. And there was a man, he stood about six foot five, six foot eight. His name was Sam Edwards. And he was the pastor of the church, turned it over to a guy by the name of David Rodenheiser. In September of 1980, they had a man come in to do a, a revival meeting, if you please, and his name was George Sweet. And I thought Sam Edwards was a tall man until George Sweet stood up above that pulpit. And I can't tell you what George Sweet said. All I can tell you is that I realized at that moment that I needed Jesus. The Lord opened up my eyes and worked in my life. And as soon as they opened up this little thing that's not very popular anymore, it's called an invitation. You see, the pastor then didn't have to ask me to open my eyes and look at him. He just said, if you need Jesus, you better come forward and ask Jesus to be your Savior. And as a 13-year-old boy, I wasn't concerned with what Chuck or Yvonne or Francis or anybody thought. I got out of that aisle, and I went forward, and I asked Jesus to save my soul. What a decision I made. You say, man, you've lived a good life. I've lived a blessed life. I haven't always made the best choices, but I've been blessed each and every step of the way. Jesus wants to do the very same with us today. Just as he calls Lazarus out of the tomb, 
when he calls us in our spiritual darkness, he is calling us out of our spiritual tombs. When he says, Greg, come forth. When he calls you by name and says, come forth. It's exactly what he's doing. And I think about this story. I think about God who seemed to arrive too late. God who heard the cries of the weeping people. God who actually weeps with the people. And God who ultimately responded by calling a dead man out of the tomb. Guys, our Lord has a lot of compassion. And there's something else I know about Jesus. He's always in control. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus declares promise after promise about himself so that you and I can know him and believe in him. In fact, Travis echoed these a few weeks ago when he talked about John chapter 6 and 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8 and verse number 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10 and verse 9, he said, I am the door. John chapter 10 and verse number 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd. And then his fifth revelation today in verse number 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Folks, the problem today isn't the lack of evidence. The problem's not the lack of evidence concerning Jesus and his miracle-working power. The problem today is the unbelief of man. The evidence isn't the problem. The problem rests in the unbelief of man. Someone has said that when God responds, things begin to happen that we don't expect but they always bring new life, new beginnings, and yes, sometimes surprise endings. Jesus said in verse 43, he cried with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. And I got some good news for you. He did. I pray that you'll do the same today. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.